1: Hello and welcome to Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Rara, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, NWSL analyst and broadcaster. On today's episode, we have a news and notes segment for everyone to catch you all up on what's happening in NWSL offseason and around the world. A quick reminder before we get into everything, we're on YouTube as video. You can subscribe to us on YouTube.com slash Attacking Third. You'll never miss a new episode or wherever we go live. You'll never miss our exclusive interviews and so, so much more. So please subscribe to us, uh, to attacking third YouTube. I love it. People can find all kinds of stuff on there, Lisa, including highlights, right? Yes, we
0: have Asian Women's Cup highlights on attacking third right now because I am, I'm going to be honest with you, Sandra, with some of our listeners, those 3 a.m. wake up times, they're not too happy. I I don't love that so much for these game times. So I'm rewatching on Paramount Plus because they have them on demand. It's fantastic. I can throw them on during the day and watch them. And then yep. I can catch all the highlights. So all the good plays, all the what 18 goals from Australia. Yep. Watch all of that on Attacking Third YouTube. Um, because we have it all, frankly.
1: We do. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I'm with you. It's been tough with those early calls. The the 8 a.m. ones for me, central time. I haven't been too bad. You know, wake up, have a little breakfast, have a little soccer. That's been good. And it's been helpful because uh for us in Chicago, we've been kind of snowed in. A little bit or frozen in now because we had some frigid temperatures and uh it is definitely winter time for sure. Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. And now is when you start to see um the different areas of the country and the different personnel because like I am in Philadelphia and I'm freezing and we are having freezing temperatures, but it's like 28, 27, and you in Chicago, you I I mean at 7 a.m. this morning we were at like 16. But in yeah. Chicago that's like your everyday. That's like your your high of the day <laughs> is like 16. So I feel like a wimp, but also I lived in the Midwest for 4 years. Yeah. I was used to those frigid yeah. snowy temperatures um and now I can't handle
1: it. It's uh, it's so it's so funny to to go from like t- temperatures that are like negative degrees and then like on a day where it's like 19 degrees that's still very cold but like after coming out of that you're like oh gosh this is i'm sweating out here this 20 (laughs) where's my sunblock (laughs) this 20 degree weather it's so it's so funny uh speaking of um freezing right let's just go into it Uh, maybe let's chat a little bit about uh, what's going on with the uh, nwsl and the players union and their uh, ongoing negotiations for a collective bargaining agreement Uh, since late 2021 or 2020 and really all of 2021 the nwsl players association has been fighting for a cba collective bargaining agreement um, you know for its players and uh, as of now Uh, You know, in terms of the early framework for NWSL in 2022, uh, players are supposed to report to their respective clubs for preseason on February 1st. Uh, And there are still actually um, supposed to be active negotiations between between the two parties here to try and go ahead and confirm a CBA for the players, you know, ahead of. Of the season now, obviously, at the timing of this this recording and, and when our uh, listeners go ahead and listen to this, it's still the end of of January. Um, but there's not a lot of time left here. So, uh, in terms of the timeline or the deadline of things working out. Not a lot of a uh, grace room to work with. You know, we had Megan Burke and Sydney Villamontes on the show not too long ago. And they kind of refer to this moment um, as stoppage time. Mm-hmm. Right, Lisa? And uh, we kind of haven't had that breakthrough goal yet, just yet.
0: Yeah, I think stoppage time is a good way to put it because these conversations have been happening for over a year, right? Like this, these conversations originally started way back in 2020. Um, it was announced in April of 2021, a joint statement between the league and the Players Association saying that, hey, we are starting to have these conversations surrounding um, a CBA and bargaining and petitioning to protect the players from the PA's position and the fact that it is now approaching February of 2022 and there are still matters that are being discussed and that are not settled. Now, uh, right, like full disclosure, there are a lot of matters that have been settled within the CBA. uh, uh, Within... This CBA, I mean, we broke it down when we had Megan Burke on and Sydney to talk about this, but there are so many different points that are being made in this negotiation. I think it's important to remind listeners that one of the points that was actually taken out of this CBA and brought to the table on its own was player protection and an anti harassment policy in the NWSL. That was originally part of the CBA, but The Players Association realized uh, that these players were in danger and their safety was being threatened. So they took that out of the CBA, put it on the table, and they came to those contract negotiations a lot quicker. Now, still in the CBA, there are so many different points that are being made. A lot of them have been proved and have been agreed upon, but there are still a few, quote, like sticking points uh, between the two sides that they cannot agree on at this point along the lines of free agency, uh, if that's a possibility for the players, how long it'll be a possibility, roster updates for all of these changes, and then really how long this CBA is going to last. Because we're in about to start the 10th season of the NWSL, and this is the first time there's a CBA. So how long does the CBA last? When do they get to go into negotiations? Again, if there are different points, either side wants to bring on. So I think that's kind of important umbrella to lay over all of this groundwork that we have.
1: No, absolutely. And, and, you know, Obviously, with that February first deadline for preseason, there's always uh, you know that 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 thought in the back of your mind. Well, what does that mean for the players who are you know obviously feeling like they're not getting a lot of response uh, responses out of? These negotiations, and it was recently reported earlier this week uh, from Megalina Henry of the Athletic that actually NWL players are considering, uh, you know, not reporting to clubs without a CBA in place for them. Um, so sources saying that they won't report to the first day of preseason without a collective bargaining agreement in place. Uh, so it would be what is the first sort of CBA related work stoppage. Um you know, since these negotiations have been, uh, you know, ongoing over over the last course of, of the year. And when you're when we're looking at and thinking about uh, the players union and sort of how far they've come right Their their evolution. Right. In terms of, you know, their their very early days of, uh, you know, their early foundation, this would really kind of be the uh, very historical for them, um, in terms of, uh, you know, following through with something, uh, like this. And I don't think that it's something that should be looked at, um, or taken lightly. Right. And when it comes to, um, things like leverage or showing, um, showing that your side is taking this very seriously, if, if, if they, if the one side thinks the other side is not taking it serious, that's the leverage, right? The leverage is to, ultimately hold out and in terms of the calendar ahead it's the very first demonstration could be on february 1st that's like the first earliest type of action they could take because all this time from off season being from november through to January, it's just been like a, a typical off season where there's just sort of been business as usual for clubs in terms of participating in what we knew as, as you know, the expansion draft for the two new clubs and then an NWSL draft and then, you know, oh trade windows and and, and acquisitions and signings and things like that. All of this still ongoing as if it's it's still just a regular off season. And then in terms of having a thing to point to and say this is something that we can utilize collectively to show solidarity and demonstrate together, it's this February 1 deadline. I think that's so important to talk about is the leverage that
0: the players and the PA have right now. Because as you mentioned, it's been off season and the players haven't had any responsibilities or duties so far. And this is the first time where they can say, we are not going to show up to work if we don't have protection and a CBA in place. Um, uh, I, I know that it, this conversation has been so ongoing for so long, over 35 bargaining sessions between the league and the players association and the owners. And, and that's uh, really, it's a conversation between two that really expands into a conversation between three, between the players the clubs and the league because everyone really needs to agree on these terms, but it's mainly the players association and then the league. Um, And because of that, the, what is the league going to do if the players don't show up on February 1st, right? That's the only leverage that the players have right now. And it's important to note that the players want to do their job. They want to play soccer. They want to be reunited with their clubs. They want to be reunited with their friends and their teammates. It's like Christmas morning for a player when you get to go to preseason, you're nervous, you've got the butterflies, you get to see your friends, you're excited. But if this is what they can use to make sure that they are protected and that they have um, rules in place heading into the 10th, year of this league, I think it's really important that these players continue to have their voice and, and do that, which we have seen if anything, throughout 2021, uh the players finding their voice and using it really, really Loudly and and I, I hate unturning these stones and continuing to have these conversations. But throughout the course of the 2021 season, there was really league-wide fallout uh, surrounding the systemic abuse accusations and and investigations that started with them, and then the revelations of all of this systemic abuse um, that changed these CBA negotiations and. That's a fact. It did change how these negotiations have happened and and how the conversations have happened, not only in the NWSL PA and the NWSL league, but also on the bigger stage of the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association and those conversations with U.S. Soccer. Because of everything that happened in the fallout of 2021, those conversations changed, but the players' course of action has not, and that is the. They need protection and they want a CBA heading into this next season. Um, And now as they put a deadline on it a long time ago by February 1st um, and and nothing happened. we have seen a lot of deadlines throughout this last calendar year for the NWSL. And a lot of times they were met, but a lot of times they weren't. And we would hear things as the public media a few days after the deadlines And it was like, okay, so this deadline was fake. It was like an empty threat. And the Players Association at this point in time, at the end of January, is saying, we gave you a deadline of February 1st. And if you don't abide by that deadline, we will not show up to preseason. And they put out a statement seven days before on Twitter saying that and really reiterating their stance on this and and that their end goal is to come to a deal and come to an agreement with
1: the league. Yeah, I think taking that step, that proactive step to sort of put it out in a in a public place which in this mm-hmm. case is, is via statements uh, a, along their appropriate social media channels sort of is the is the green light I think and that there is an agreement right amongst the players amongst the players unions that in terms of um actionable demonstrations that this is something that they're taking very seriously it's obviously not um, a conclusion that they've came that they've come to lightly and and I'll just read this statement that they've been putting out on, on Twitter and then their releases um since March 2021 we have negotiated in good faith with the nwsl to secure the first CBA in a U.S professional women's soccer league we are now seven days from the start of season 10 with no contract in place the nwsl and the board of governors have our final proposals and can vote to uh, and can vote to agree to a contract that values and protects us as players and moves the league in the direction we all know it deserves to go it is time nwsl hashtag contract now um so you know as of this recording and that statement being put out on the 25th where they timed it with exactly one week to go. It's got a ton of, you know, uh, inner interactions, engagement, ret- retweets uh, over a thousand. Um, I can imagine that the impressions right and the social media that this mm-hmm. is making. So it is something that has been out there. Right. Um, and this is, I think is close to a statement, you know, in terms of a definitive thing that people can point to and say, the union is you know putting effectively putting the ball right in in their court and they have their plans in place um should this deadline come up and nothing is uh nothing is occurring
0: so as of right now Sandra we we have the players association statement that comes out one week before the start of preseason saying we need this deal we need a cba or we are not going to show up as we get even closer to February 1st at every minute and every second we talk on this podcast, we're getting closer. What is really like the best case scenario that is practical over these next few days? Because can they come to an agreement? Can the the league come to a deal before February 1st? Could it happen towards the end of the first week of February? What's our best case scenario here that, that fans and the players are hoping for?
1: Well, I think, like, you know, glass half full, right? Optimism um, is that if there's a deadline, that's fine. That means that there's still time, right? And that anything can happen, kind of, uh, uh, you know, and and, uh, hopefully with everything that's been going on in the league, and we'll actually get into this on this episode. um, You know, the league has been dealing with some things into the off-season that stemmed in 2021, whether that was... uh, Ongoing investigations, you know, surrounding all of the, you know, reporting that came out in 2021, um, talking about, uh, you know, toxic environments, um, abuse from coaches uh, and tied up with investigations there or the ongoing Negotiations with the CBA on top of dealing with uh, some things out of Washington spirit and own shifts in ownership uh, changes going on there. Uh, So there have been there were things right that the board of governors sort of had on their plates coming stemming from 2021 in into this offseason. And we've heard uh, adjacent to this statement now from the players union. That there hasn't been a ton of uh, negotiating going on in this off season in, 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 terms of two parties, right. Two parties here coming together on some type, let's just assume a virtual table, right. Because we're operating in a pandemic coming to a virtual table and having these negotiating and bargaining sessions that it's been very uh, slim on the league side of things versus the player side of things. Um, and so with some current updates with, with, you know, something like the spirit saga going on. And again, we'll get into that, that maybe now with some days remaining, a handful of days remaining or so in the month of January, that the board of governors can perhaps take a look at these proposals finally um, with the, you know, that are coming directly from the players and try to get back to that negotiating table and try to bargain and hash out an actual CBA. The first, that would be the first of its kind you know, ahead of the 2022 season, ahead of these players, you know, having to report to, uh, to preseason camps. I think that's, that's the best case scenario and that you're being as optimistic as possible and saying, Hey, there's still a handful of days here. Let's, you know, you've given us your proposal here. We're taking a look at it. We, we agree with a, B and C, maybe not X, Y, and Z. And let's, let's try to work this out and, and, and figure it out. Uh, but both, uh, Both groups absolutely have to be in numbers, right? We'll just say in numbers at those negotiating tables in order um, to have that happen. You know, and then, of course, there's everything that could possibly happen if if it doesn't get agreed on.
0: I mean, yes, and we'll get into that. But when you speak of the numbers and everything that's happening, I think, I, I mean, from my perspective, the NWSLPA has the upper hand right now because they realize that if they put out a statement and right, this was thought out, this was very well done on their ha- their behalf to put out a statement on Twitter exactly one week before they're supposed to report to kind of make the time crunch that they are under, the players are under, the league is under uh, very public and let fans be known of it. That way, if and when February one comes around and the players do not report, it's not this giant bombshell of fans scrambling to catch up and say, what's happening? Why aren't the players here? Uh, Season ticket holders, what's happening? Is the season not starting? The PA put it out there and said, listen, this is where we stand. We need answers. We need a deal. Um, We want to play, but we can't play if we don't have this deal. So Looking at that and the season, right? Like preseason is around the corner, supposed to be. Then the season starts. It's a six-week preseason. And then the Challenge Cup's supposed to be starting March 19th, running through the first week of May going into that. Like, will the schedule get pushed back? Will preseason be shortened, right? Like the players want to play. This is their job. It's what they want to do. Um so, like, what happens if the players don't go to preseason? Will Will the preseason be extended? Will it just be pushed back? Will the timetables be moved? I mean, there's a lot of moving yeah. factors in all of this. And there's still no schedule out yet from the league. <laughs> That's another factor into yeah. this. So the schedule could change and, and we might not even know about it
1: yeah there's all of that that's happening in in the background of this where you're trying (laughs) to make a schedule while there's no cva in place and the players have obviously expressed like hey we're not going to report if if this isn't if this isn't in place so i mean there's um there's there's all those uh, there's all those things right there's both pros and cons right in all this and i'm sure the players union has weighed those things and it's something like a something like a potential holdout, right? You're talking about a six-week period starting February 1 and and what happens if that sort of rolls into or or bleeds into what would be the proposed Challenge Cup, which according to framework that the league put out initially would start, you know, in in mid-March, March March 19th, and then go into May 7th, uh, like you mentioned, Lisa, and like within this sort of, uh, knowing that these events are, you know, tied to other things, tied to, you know, being broadcast on, on certain areas. I mean, I think, the, I believe the final, please correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the final is scheduled to be on network CBS. Yeah. Where they're expecting um, a championship to be played on that. And what we're, what we've been seeing during this time um, when they are, is opportunity for these NWL games to be on that type of channel where we're seeing outrageous numbers like outrageous viewership right that comes in when the league airs on CBS and it is huge for the league it's huge for the players the clubs that participate in it um so there's all these things that come into play right so on the one in one hand it's like you have you know what's the league going to do if if the players don't report to, you know, February 1? And are you still going to utilize these six weeks to try to negotiate something uh, in, in place? Uh, and and if that does bleed into something like a Challenge Cup, then the league also has to answer to, uh, you know, broadcast partners. You know, so this it could get – could it get yeah. messy? Absolutely. It could absolutely get yeah. messier for the league. Um, there's agree. no ads or buts about it. But I think the goal is – for things to not get to that worst-case scenario. Of
0: course. And that's why the players are saying, okay, we'll cut our preseason short, right? Because it's such a trickle-down effect. I mean, from every single level of this, the players not reporting um, payments, like players getting paid season ticket holders, broadcast rights holders, league schedules getting changed. Like, there are just so many factors that go into this professional soccer season that could be changed just based upon this CBA deal. And and I think that's the point that the Players Association is trying to make, that they have all the power to put on a player strike based specifically on this CBA and
1: not coming to an agreement with the league. It's been, um, I guess before we take a break, I'll just say that it's it's been – it's really been an honor and a privilege to sort of cover this right as it's been unfolding. Um, and again, witnessing the growth that this player union has had since, uh, their initial foundation to to now, uh, and just sort of seeing them find their collective voices and, um, understand and recognize the strength and what would be collective action. Um, It's something that we're going to keep an eye on for sure and continue to try and and report on uh, as best we can. And uh, hopefully the next time we do talk about this, uh, there will be a CBA uh, (laughs) in place. But uh, for now, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come on back, we will chat a little bit about uh, Washington Spirit and the update on uh, the ownership saga going on there. Be right back. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Washington Spirit. It's like the, the news and the updates are on Washington Spirit. It almost feels like it will never leave us. Uh, we got to update our listeners on some more things that are going on on the Spirit side of things. Recently, the NWSL board uh, approved unanimously, uh, the uh, Michelle why Michelle King's attempt to uh, go ahead and vet and obtain uh, voting uh, control of the Washington Spirit via uh, you know vet, vetting the minority other minority owners and obtaining uh, a larger amount of shares in terms of uh, you know voting control. And this was a little bit chaotic. We we did an episode about it and reacted to it and talked a little bit about. Uh, the news for that, and because of the way that this was <laughs> done, um, obviously um, it it involved. It got the NWSL Board of Governors involved in that, where which before Lisa, I think it sort of looked like. They were just trying to make sure that Baldwin and and the franchise sort of just sort of took care of it on its own. But with the uh, the minority investors sort of showing that uh, they are placing their trust uh, in King and sort of. Uh, you know force the issue Right kind of force the hand and the NWSL Board of Governors um, had to have A meeting uh, with Why Michelle King And Steve Baldwin and sort of Hear uh, these sort of pitches From each uh, Respective party to talk about This process that Occurred and why it was fair or Why it was unfair or <laughs> why it was Valid or why it was invalid And uh, it turns out that After the arguments were made The NWSL board unanimously unanimously approved of uh, the methodology, but uh, were adamant in saying that just because that happened, that still means that the uh, Washington Soccer Properties LLC needs to complete the transaction. And there has to be uh, a vote that takes place uh, before like official recognition of ownership for majority ownership for why uh, Michelle King can actually take place. And I think that's an important angle to maybe sort mm-hmm. of settle in a little bit here Um because ultimately when i think when that release came out there was some reaction to it where it's like oh uh so the board of governors uh unanimously uh you know validated right the the debt holder uh, you know the equity the debt to equity conversation right uh, <laughs> but why don't they just make it official why don't they well it's because right. The NWSL is also a business. It's also an LLC and Washington Soccer Properties is also an LLC and one LLC can't force another LLC to do certain type of business. It's all a lot of uh, legalese that's involved in it. Um, But what this essentially does is it flags and it signals that, you know, hey, if. The Washington Soccer Properties LLC eventually goes through the the official processes to vote and declare and make uh, Y. Michelle King the majority owner that the NWSL Board of Governors will take it that final step and and go ahead and uh, approve that and recognize that officially themselves. Uh, So that is the next process of this (laughs) in terms of Washington spirit. So it's almost like there's a lot of uh, folks out there who are, you know, Uh, have been pushing for something like this and wanting to see this come to life and sort of seeing this recent news. It's, it's, it's almost, it's it's like people were like, Oh, is it official? Oh, wait a minute. It's not. Let me take a step back. So it's one of these things where it's like uh, why Michelle King is just taking another step forward, right. To to possibly obtaining that final piece of becoming majority owner of the Washington spirit.
0: Yes. I think that's important to note because it is a lot of, I'm going to say legal hoops to jump through and that you and I have been trying to stay updated on, right? Like with the whole debt equity exchange, like I was Googling every other word because I'm not a business (laughs) owner of giant corporations of entire franchises. So to kind of wrap my head around all of this is a little bit difficult because it's like, okay, you approved of Michelle Kang and her um, ability to kind of, Convince, I'm going to say minority owners, to give her controlling stake of the team. But now it comes back that it's still kind of in the hands of Steve Baldwin um, and why Michelle Kang, because the team still has not been sold entirely. And that's kind of like the finish line of this saga, right? That the team gets sold and to the fans and the players of the Washington spirit, they want that sale to happen to Y. Michelle Kang so that she becomes a majority owner and that she can sit on the board of governors in the NWSL and be at that table and make those decisions. And it really comes full circle back to the CBA discussion because the CBA negotiations are happening between the players association, the NWSL as a league, and then the board of governors, which is the owners that, own all of these franchises that come back to this. So it's having the people in the right position of ownership and power to make informed and qualified decisions to do right by the players and do right by the league, Ultimately, and it comes down to this. So although like these two stories may seem separate between the CBA negotiations and the players potentially going on strike and the Washington spirit ownership saga that has been happening for months and months and months, they are so intertwined and connected at the bottom of it. And because they both involve the league and the NWSL uh board overall, it makes things even more tangled because it's not just like they're having one conversation to focus on. They really have to look at both sides and all sides of each different situation, which then makes it even longer. It's such a process. But good news is that there continue to be developments within the Washington spirit ownership discussion that is happening. And and one of the latest um, being this conversation between uh, why Michelle Kang, Steve Baldwin presenting their own sides of the argument and their sides of this situation to the board, um, and then the the NWSL board ultimately voting on it. But that's not all, Sandra. The story continues.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's um yeah somebody somebody cue up the the closing credits music. I don't know. It's almost like. Uh, it's yeah. almost like a horror movie, right? Where you mm-hmm. think like the 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 villain is dead, but then it like comes back to life for <laughs> that one last kind of scare. I'm not trying to minimize it by by any means. It's just really like from the outside perspective of this, looking in. That's just kind of what it feels like yes. sometimes. Uh, and I mean. Even with the NWSL Board of Governors uh, sort of unanimous decision on this, in terms of just sort of recognizing the process, um, now that things are back, you know, into Washington uh, Washington soccer properties, now it's like a, a little bit of some some more final. Uh, Attempts to to try to like gains one control over over things within the franchise, and uh, it was reported by Sportico on January twenty sixth uh, that Steve Baldwin sent an email to the uh, to the team investors accusing co owner Y Michelle King of. Uh, The all the aforementioned things that he has already accused her of in terms of all the interfighting, uh, the word lies and liar was, was thrown around there several, uh, times. I mean, this has been a months, months, months long, uh, battle for control over, uh, the Washington spirits. Uh, and it's just, it's just sort of this email that kind of got released just sort of read like, uh, just those, uh, almost sort of like a final attempt, right? To kind of uh, discredit at one point, there is literally a moment within this very long email that sort of, uh, blaze out all of these different grievances against Kang um, about uh, no longer wanting to remain silent on things. Uh, Baldwin actually writes at one point within this, saying that I've made every attempt to take the high road throughout this ordeal, other than now highlighting a very, very small set of facts of what Bill Lynch, the spirit Cone owner and I dealt with from our, quote, business partner. I have not pestered you. I haven't waged a public campaign. I haven't spoken to media and I haven't leaked any of the interactions of this group or anything else. Time has come where I can no longer remain silent It's just uh, It's a lot, it's long and it's lengthy um, I think the biggest thing for me That ended up standing out uh, Within this is a, At one point, Balderin refers to uh, Former Um former ousted uh, head coach richie burke at uh mm-hmm. at one point you know this is the same head coach that they brought in who was later investigated for uh you know creating a toxic environment for hurling uh you know abusive language at uh at players and baldwin refers to this refers to him as someone who could possibly be credible, uh, in terms of defaming, uh, why Michelle King that, uh, Burke is someone who could allude to the fact that, uh, you know, she promised him additional compensation. If he coerced cooperation in ousting Baldwin from the club and to keep their meetings a secret. Uh, so uh, just uh, a lot of in this this email just sort of coming to light and how Baldwin very clearly uh, views uh, why Michelle King and uh, the process at this point um, and it's just really sad. I think that it's sort of, uh, you know, coming to the final, uh, the final act here that this is sort of what's uh, coming out. And obviously, uh, you know, there's lawyers involved at this point and, and legal things involved. Uh, and in terms of the, the leak of this, this actual email, um, there's also, you know, legal representation for, for King who are, you know, speaking out on, on her her behalf. So it's, um it's just, again, it's just one of these things where it's like, oh, you, we, I think all knew that this was going to get quite messy before it actually got cleaned up, unfortunately.
0: Sandra, you mentioned a number of times the length of this email, 1,500 words to written by Steve Baldwin, um, presumably written by him. Maybe his attorney gave it a glance over before he hit send. Uh, but as you mentioned, yeah, attorneys involved, because of course, as journalists, the athletic and, and, uh, Sporting Co. have to reach out to Kang and say, do you have a response to this? And of course, she says no. Her attorney responds for her. Um, She's a smart businesswoman, basically Kang with no comment, but the attorney saying, quote, we are disappointed to learn that Mr. Baldwin continues to repeat these false and inappropriate allegations with the best interests of the team in mind and the vote by the NWSL Board of Governors last Weekend, we are ready to move forward and focus on the next exciting chapter for the Washington Spirit and women's professional soccer. So it's interesting when I read this and when I kind of absorb this information, Baldwin seems to still be trying to throw stones at Kang and accuse her of bad things, whether that's socializing inappropriately with players and becoming too friendly with them, which is one of the points he he makes in this letter that he doesn't think it's appropriate that she has such a friendly relationship with the players um, and trying to just accuse her of all of these different things, right, going into secret coercion deals with Uh, then head coach, Richie Burke. And at this point, Kang is like, okay, what about the players? What about the team? What about the club? We have to look at the future of this club. We just won the NWSL championship. How do we make this club even better? How do we continue to move forward from this and uh, kind of continue to move on? So it's, it's just so, Weird, right? Like how all of this is coming out and the continuation of this conversation. Um Baldwin also yeah. saying that Kang doesn't like fund the club and that it is solely Steve Baldwin funding the franchise at this point, but he's minority or majority owner of the club. It's very interesting. It's a lot. And, and as
1: excuse me. It's a lot.
0: It's a lot. It's just A lot of happening. And for him to kind of say, I've taken the high road for so long and now I'm going to write this email and I'm going to ask the board a lot of questions of their integrity and of Kang's integrity and try to accuse her of all of these different accusations throughout the season and even throwing Richie Burke into the mix of all of this, who is not credible at all, right? Like fully under investigation, fully removed from his post, uh, just not a credible source. It's it's a lot. It's a lot that continues to happen. And unfortunately, the players are involved in this kind of debate because these are their owners of their club.
1: Yeah, it's... Um, oh, man. We're talking about February 1 deadlines, right? This is uh, probably another one that we've got to keep an uh, eye on in terms of things that need to be wrapped up uh, by by a certain uh, time, for sure. It's... Uh, it, that's lengthy, fifteen hundred words to sort of uh, make a, a last-ditch attempt. I think to sort of uh, ensure that you still have control of, of a team, and, and and quite frankly, it just it, it disregards the players. I think even even with anyone's best intentions of mine and trying to speak out or feel like they no longer want to be silenced, to to, to use uh, Baldwin's words, uh, you know, I think it disregards the, the players and their intentions as well. I mean, this is a team, in the club of the roster that. Uh, felt motivated to release a statement of their own, and players put their their names on it and their words on it, and said that the person that they no longer trust to run the team is Baldwin, and the person that they trust is King. So it's, uh, I think it's uh, something that we'll have to look back on and take a look at all the different pieces, you know, when it's all sort of said, done, and dusted. Um, but we're not quite there yet. So we'll. Uh, this is just another thing that we'll be keeping an eye on moving forward along with the ongoing NWSL-CBA negotiations. Before we wrap up, we want to take the time to remind everyone that uh, Paramount Plus is where you can catch the AFC Asian Women's Cup. All the matches are on Paramount Plus. If you miss a game for whatever reason, you can catch full highlights over on Attacking Third YouTube, youtube.com slash attacking third, or you can catch full matches on demand on Paramount Plus. Uh, Really quickly, we got to give an update, though. Group play is officially over in uh, the Asian Women's Cup, and uh, I gotta say it's been a delight to sort of take in some of these games and take a look uh, at everything. We do have to give an update, I think, before um, making a note that the quarterfinals will be taking place. Uh, Group A had to get shuffled around a little bit. Um, basically, what ended up happening was that the hosts, India, uh, sort of had to withdraw. Not sort of. They did have to withdraw. A withdrawal was played on them based on rules of the competition surrounding COVID-19 right ahead of match day two when the team was scheduled to play Chinese Taipei. um, There was a string of positive cases of COVID-19 impacting the team and coupled with some injuries and the team was unfortunately unable to name a 13-player game day roster which was the absolute minimum like bare minimum to name 13 players for a match day and because of their failure to do so again coupled with the the string of positive cases and injury uh the competition the AFC declared this was uh, something where they could not move forward and progress into the tournament, obviously based on the type of tournament that it was and the timeline that is in play for the competition. So because of that, uh, Group A uh, teams sort of function just, just as a, a three-team group with China, Iran, and Chinese Taipei. Uh, with the two matches in hand, China was the first team to clinch a quarterfinal spot. Uh, but now, in terms of the other groups, Group B and Group C and how things Shook out there It's going to be China Japan Australia South Korea Philippines Thailand Vietnam, uh, Vietnam And uh, Chinese Taipei that are going to round out The quarterfinals Unfortunately India Myanmar Indonesia And Iran Are out After the group stages uh, Their journey to the World Cup Sort of ends uh, With the group stage In Asian Women's Cup And uh, for the quarterfinals, there's some big ones that are going to be coming up. So, again, watch all of these on Paramount+. Plus. They're going to all be taking place on January 30th. Uh, So we got a big one in Japan versus Thailand on Sunday, January 30th at 3 a.m. Eastern time. Probably the biggest one for me that I've got circled on here is Australia versus South Korea taking place also at 3 a.m. Eastern time. China versus Vietnam at 7 a.m. Eastern Central time and Chinese Taipei versus Philippines at 9 a.m., Eastern time you can watch all of these games on Paramount plus again you could catch full extended highlights on attacking third YouTube page Lisa before we close out I got to say I'm very happy for you and uh, Vietnam the pick that you had to advance out of uh, the group stages way to go. Me too. Vietnam was almost like my underdog, and as
0: I know you mentioned it at the top of this Asian Women's Cup conversation, but the fact that India is disqualified is actually yeah. really sad because, right, like we had so many high hopes going into them when we had Steph Yang on uh, to talk about the Asian Women's Cup and everything. We had a lot of high hopes for India, but yes, my my Vietnam team <laughs> is going strong. Yeah. I did. I wanted them to get out of the group round because I think they have a something a little special. But uh, for me, looking at these quarterfinal matches, it's Australia-South Korea Sunday at 3 a.m. I will not be watching it at 3 a.m. I'll probably (laughs) rewatch it around like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. I'm just going to sleep a little bit longer because, Sandra, you know this. Once the NWSL season gets started and I'm back to traveling every weekend and calling games, I got to get my sleep Where I can. Um, And I still want to watch Sam Kerr. I want to see if she breaks any more records. She became Australia's all time international goal score last week in these matches she scored yep. a total of 54 goals throughout her career and counting So that continues to go so see if she continues to climb and break records uh, but all of these games um, I'm tuning in for I mean at Vietnam they're my dark horse heading into this one Philippines I got a personal connection there Riley Bouguet she plays yep. for them she's my friend my former teammate at Marquette uh, and then Australia South Korea it's a big one I've circled um, and then Japan Thailand like right these are good games yeah. we'll see what happens all again taking place on sunday at various times um so re-watch them on paramount plus watch them live and you can always catch the extended highlights on youtube.com slash attacking third we have them for you all
1: yeah, I'm high I'm hyped for them. They're gonna be some good games and, and there are five World Cup spots in place mm-hmm. coming out of this tournament. So now that we're into the knockout rounds, these these spots, these five spots are like absolutely like within grasp. And this is it's where old. the games this yeah, this is where the games kind of really start to take a different, maybe a different type of tempo. Um in terms of uh you know, in terms of making it to, to the World Cup. And I think if people have their you know, matches kind of cross on ones that they want to take a look. I think they're absolutely zeroing in on Australia and South Korea. I'm going to be excited to maybe take a look at uh, Chinese Taipei and Philippines. I think it's been uh, it's been really fun to sort of see this Philippines team kind of continue their mm-hmm. growth right in their evolution. Um, just narrowly missing out on the previous World Cup in 2019, and to now sort of maybe looking like they're in a little bit of a better position for this upcoming World Cup. So uh, we'll be taking a look at that, and we'll probably uh, go ahead and recap uh, the quarterfinals for everyone. Next week uh, when we return, I want to thank everybody for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to your podcast shows. You can leave us a five-star review on Spotify now. And if you have any questions for us, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with a question. And Lisa and I will answer it during our mailbag segment. We're also available as videos. Subscribe to us on YouTube, visit youtube.com/slash attacking third. And we'll be back on Monday with more coverage and exclusive interviews for Sandro and Lisa Romy. This was a second.
0: You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday,
1: experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If Ready PG.